Hey, what's up, folks? This is Tony Brewer. You're listening to Cogitations. Cogitations is the podcast where we think about things, we contemplate them, we turn them over in our minds, and then we discuss them. Daniel chapter 7, verse 28, Daniel writes, Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cogitations much troubled me, my countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter in my heart. Now, we're not going to keep the matter in our heart. We're going to talk about it. Today, we're going to talk about this weird phenomenon that if you never witnessed it, you would be very taken aback. I know that I was the first time I had ex- uh, exposure to uh, denominational churches, and I know in my, I got a little cute in my, in my description. I talked about this phenomenon that is associated with man-made denominations, but I repeat myself. Listen, denominations are man-made, every one of them, and as such, uh, they have some weird man-made traditions. But I want to talk about this one tradition of testifying. And is it a tool that can be used? Can we find a place in Scripture where the, the tool of testifying is used? And would it be inherently wrong to have a time during an assembly where um, you give the opportunity of people, they would have to be properly vetted to get up before the congregation, obviously you wouldn't allow women to do this because women are to hesukia, that's be sat down and still uh, in the churches, in the, in the assembly. God doesn't want them to teach nor usurp authority over the man, and that's usurping God's authority. So man can't give a woman the authority to get up and say, hey, or give permission to get up before the congregation and do anything. I may have opened up a can of worms. We'll talk about it at a later date. But my point is, if, if all things are followed to the letter of the law, would it be inherently wrong during an assembly of the Lord's church for someone who is following the rules of the Bible to get up and tell the congregation how their Christianity and their walk in Christ has blessed them not just generally speaking but in this overarching theme of how their life is better, but maybe specifically about how being a follower of Christ has blessed them in the immediate, okay? And that's really what testifying is. Um, well, that's what it's called. I don't know, maybe testifying wouldn't be a good name for it. Maybe edifying, maybe encouraging, where somebody gets up and says, hey, listen, uh, you know, I've, I've I've been having a lot of struggles. I went to my God in prayer, and here's the way this week that I saw God answer my prayer. And I just want to encourage everyone that if you're going through these kind of struggles, uh, just hold fast, pray to God, lean on the brethren, and you can persevere. I don't know that there would be anything wrong with that. Okay, now. Let's let's go to the Bible because what I think doesn't matter, quite frankly. And if you'll permit or forgive me in advance for being so bold, what you think doesn't matter either. Let's see what we can find in Scripture. And I go to First Corinthians chapter fourteen. Uh, this is a famous verse that that Paul is dealing with an assembly. I do not believe it is a quote unquote worship service as we would call the worship service today. I think this was probably more akin to Wednesday night Bible class, all right? So I think this was more akin to Wednesday night Bible class. This is an assembly of the Lord's church, and these people are getting together 
for edification, for studying, and to hear a portion of God's Word. How do I know they're getting together to hear a portion of God's Word? Because Paul is specifically talking uh, to people who have the spiritual gifts and they are imparting knowledge, spiritual knowledge from God. Let's keep. Let's read a little bit. And I'm gonna. I'm, this this podcast is going to be heavily focused on reading. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. But he who prophesies edifies the church. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive the edification. So the idea there is we're supposed to disseminate information from God in a clear and understandable way. And the people in Corinth They put so much stock and value in speaking in tongues, but nobody could understand the tongues. It was a language they had never studied. In other words, it would be like me going to uh, the congregation in which I was reared, Mount Zion Church of Christ, and speaking French to them. Oh, it's impressive that I can speak French fluently, and and, and it's not miraculous. Let's say that, and I don't speak French fluently, by the way, Um, but let's say that I studied and I learned to speak French fluently, and then I went back home, quote-unquote home, and preached a gospel sermon in French, in the French language. You know, the, the congregation may say, Tony, that's, that's really neat that you can speak in French, but I sat there for your 35-minute lesson, and I just, I didn't know what you were saying, and, and I wasted their time. It would be better if I went back home and I preached a good gospel sermon in the language where they can understand, and I disseminated information from God's Word in a way where people could follow along and understand it. So that's what Paul is saying. You, you people in Corinth, you're desiring, the, you're desiring the gift of tongues. The gift of prophecy is the better one. And, and we shouldn't even think about the gifts that way. That, that's what 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is all about. Love trumps them all. Love is the best. But if you're going to desire spiritual gifts, let me show you the one you need to desire because you need a desire being able to edify the church, all right? So let's keep going. Verse 6, But now, brethren, I come to you speaking with tongues. What shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? Even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? So likewise, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. Boy, I've heard that taken out of context. I've heard that taken out of context and used against me, by the way. Uh, Tony, you just speak above our heads. You use words we don't understand. I'm like, get a dictionary. I'm, I'm speaking in your language, and I'm teaching you. And you're going to have to work. You're going to have to work. This is The context here is about speaking in another language. It's not about teaching somebody something new. All right, let's keep going. There are 
it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world, and none of them is without significance. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. Even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will also sing with the understanding. In other words, it doesn't, it doesn't help you speaking in tongues. Getting up before the church and speaking doesn't help the church unless the church is edified, unless they can understand. So verse 16, otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, how, he, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not understand what you say? In other words, the people who don't have the spiritual gifts, when they hear the speaker speaking in a tongue that is unknown to them, even though it's very, very impressive, how can they say amen? How can they put their stamp of approval on what's being said? Because they can't, they can't discern, they don't have the ability, no matter how hard they try, to understand what is said. When a gospel preacher gets up and preaches, even if he preaches above the heads of the audience a little bit, they can work and they can apply what they know and they can understand and they can say amen. Now, verse 17. For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all, yet in the church I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. In the law it is written, with men of other tongues and with other lips, I will speak to this people. And yet, for all that, they will not hear me, says the Lord. Therefore, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to the unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. In other words, the tongue is a missionary tool. The tongue is an evangelism tool, the language. You're going to go out and you're going to preach to people the words of the Bible, the words of God, in a language that they can understand that you've never studied, and it is for those who don't believe. But the prophesying, that is for the church. That is for the local man preaching to people who speak the local language. Verse 23, therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place, and all speak with tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if all prophesy, and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, he is convicted by all. And thus the secrets of his heart are revealed, and so, falling down on his face, he will worship God, and report that God is truly among you. How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, 
has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification, for building up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, let it be by two or three, or at the most three, each in turn, and let one interpret. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let others judge. But if anything is revealed to another who sets by, let him first keep silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, that all may learn and all may be encouraged. He's telling them, you've got to settle down. It's a cacophony of confusion whenever some of you are speaking in tongues, some of you are prophesying. If somebody gets a, a, a revelation from God, he wants to stand up and immediately tell the revelation. Paul is saying, look, you got to do things. It's coming up. It's coming up in the text decently and in order. And the spirit, and you can control this, by the way. And, and the reason you can control this, and the reason we know that this, this can be controlled, is verse 32. And the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Meaning, if you got a tongue, if you, excuse me, if you have a revelation, you don't have to uncontrollably get up and speak forth that revelation. Set on it till it's your turn. If you speak in tongues and there's nobody there to interpret, then set on that until it's your turn and somebody's there to interpret. Because the spirit of the prophets, the power from God, is subject to those to whom God gives this power. In other words, you're in control of it. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches. You can easily translate this, God is not the order of chaos, or not the author of chaos, but of order, as in all the churches of the saints. Let your women keep silent in the churches. Folks, that's the wives of the prophets. Now, I don't know exactly what was going on, but I think I can infer that perhaps these women who were the wives of the prophets that if he got up there and speak, she felt like she could interject and add something. And Paul is saying, shut up. Keep silent. Not be sat down and be still. Literally, don't let sound come out of your face hole. This doesn't apply broad spectrum, by the way. Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for women to speak in the church. Or did you not come to the or come originally from you? Or did the word of God come originally from you? Or was it you only that it reached? If anyone thinks himself to be spiritual, that means they have the ability, or excuse me, if anyone thinks himself to be a prophet that's able to prophesy miraculously, or spiritual, that means endued with other, some other spiritual gift, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. But if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. Therefore, brethren, and I, I fully believe that this word ignorant here is not talking about a lack of knowledge. I think it's talking about a lack of the ability to do the miraculous. Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and not to forbid to speak in tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. Now, 
Why did I read that entire chapter? What does that have to do with with what we have going on here uh, about the podcast and about testimony? If you follow the formula for this, and if you have people who have been properly vetted to give up, to stand up, and, and you give them a time each week to give an encouragement. So let's say that you come together, you, you pray, you, you hear preaching, you partake of the Lord's Supper, you give of your means, uh, you sing. It is perfectly acceptable as far as what I can read that someone could give up, stand up to edify the congregation and they can give a personal testimony. Now, that is a far cry different than what happens in a lot of denominations. In a lot of denominations, somebody's just subject to the quote-unquote spirit, take them, and they get up, and it's not decent, it's not in order, okay? It's uncontrolled, it's not temperate. But if it's done correctly, what you have is every week, the congregation hears from a member for whom or uh, whom God has greatly blessed. Maybe they hear from a member who was needing something and God provided it, was going through a hard time and God got them through it, was going through a hard time and one of the members helped them. This is edification and this is not wrong. And if it's done correctly, if it's done decently and in order, then having somebody get up and quote-unquote testify of how their Christian walk has greatly enhanced their lives, not generally, but give a specific thing, then that would be a great boon to the congregation. And I wonder sometimes if, even though it's not done decently in order, if the denominations are a tighter-knit community because people are encouraged to share the stories from their walk as Christians, as so-called Christians. I don't know. Something to consider. Maybe it's something we think about and we talk about, and maybe it's something we implement locally and see how it goes, you know? Now, I think I've laid the foundation where this this practice, if it's done in a way that is decent and in order for edification, is absolutely permissible, is is it profitable? Is there ever a time in Scripture where we can see that somebody drew heavily on their personal experience to sway people to the cause of Christ? Hey, Bridget Dressner, good to see you. So is there ever a time? Well, I think that there is. And, and again, this is going to be a heavy uh, fo- a focused on, on reading, heavily focused on reading. Let's go to Acts, the book of Acts, chapter 22. Listen. Now, again, Paul is absolutely on trial here, but he uses his own testimony. And this is not the only time Paul does this, but I'm, I'm gonna, I want to I I do this one. This is the one that's the most blatant. All right, brethren, I'm just going to read Acts chapter 22. Not all of it, but a big chunk of it. Brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. 
And when they heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent and said, I am indeed a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law, and was zealous toward God, as you all are today. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women, as also the high priest bears me witness, and all the counsel of the elders, from whom I also received letters to the brethren, and went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. Now it happened as I journeyed and came near Damascus at about noon, suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said unto me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. So I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Arise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all things which are appointed for you to do. And since I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came into Damascus. Then a certain Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me and stood and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that same hour, I looked up at him. Then he said, The God of your fathers has chosen you. What? Hold on. Boy, I messed that up. Then he said, The God of your fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I was in a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste, get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. So I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believe on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then he said unto me, Depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. Now this is where it falls off the rails. And they listened to him until this word, what word? The word Gentiles and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he is not fit to live. Then as they cry out and tore off their clothes and threw dust into the air, the commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks and said that he should be examined under scourging so that they might know why they shouted so against him. And that's it. So, does this, does this account in Acts chapter 2 give us authority to have quote-unquote testimonies in the Lord's church? No, no, not really. I think 1 Corinthians 14 does, but what Acts chapter 22 does show 
is that there is profit, that it is at least profitable to offer your own testimony. That we have people that stand against us. The world doesn't love us. The world hates us. So what is what if somebody comes to you and says, well, why are you a Christian? You know, I was asked that. Now, I wasn't asked that in an antagonistic way. But I answered it like this. The reason I'm a Christian is because my life is better because of it. Even, even if it's all false, even if it's all a lie, living according to the commandments and precepts and divine examples that are found in the New Testament, my life is better. And he said, wow, I never thought about it like that. Yeah. Now, question. Do you think that I believe that it is false? God forbid. I hope you don't. In fact, back to my favorite passage of Scripture, Titus 2, 11 and following. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. I, I think that if we live according to what Jesus teaches, we'll be sober-minded and we'll be upright before our fellow man. But, of course, we won't be godly unless we, Hebrews eleven six our lives. Without faith, is that it is impossible to please him. For in order to be pleasing to God, you must believe that he is. That's existential. You've got to believe that he's real, he exists, and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. So the idea there, my, my response is just, is not complete. Why are you a Christian? Because even if I believed all this was a lie, my life is better for living according to this book, but I don't believe it's all a lie, and I want to spend eternity in heaven with my Father and my Savior, Jesus Christ. My Father's different from my Savior, understand. But anyway, so is, is getting up and testifying in the Lord's church something that we ought to do? I don't know. I think maybe so in certain cases. I think it needs to be done decently in order. I think it needs to be done under the oversight of the eldership or the oversight of the, of the body of men that, that lead the congregation. I think there needs to be coaching and training for, um, for whomever does that. I don't think you ought to let women do it. But I think it would help the congregation to see men in the congregation get up and testify about in the immediate how their lives have been positively affected by their walk in Christ and to give encouragement to the congregation. If I'm understanding my history correctly, and I'm open to correction here, in the long ago, you know, like, 60, 70 years ago, that in a worship service in the Lord's church, you would have a gospel sermon, a homily, and then the invitation song would be sung and all that good stuff. Either that or, or then, then that guy would sit down, and then an encourager would come up, and he would talk about what, what the preacher said and encourage the people to do what the preacher said. And I can't help but think if I, like I think about, uh, there, there's a sermon by Tom Holland that's on, on the internet about laying up treasures in heaven. And if, if I were in the auditorium 
where Tom Holland was preaching that sermon, and then somebody said to me, hey, we want you to get up and encourage the, the audience. I would get up, and I would talk about, I would say, listen, we just heard a fine lesson by a wonderful expositor of the Scriptures, Brother Tom Holland, and I would hope that everybody here would take these words to heart, and I can look back on my own life, and I can see how that when I've trusted in Jesus rather than trusting in myself or trusting in man, how it's worked out to the better. You know, there were there there was a time whenever I was working on Sundays and it was keeping me from going to worship service and I backed off and I took a pay cut, but it seemed like I was rewarded in the long run. Uh, there was a time when I was working in uh, retail sales where the nature of my contract was changed against my will. And instead of working one Sunday a month for eight months out of the year, I had to work every other Sunday a 12-hour shift where I could not meet with the brethren. So what did I do? I no longer worked there. And I actually, that was what prompted me to, to go to the Memphis School of Preaching. And look at my life now. You know, I, I live a much better life because I decided to try to lay up treasure in heaven. Now, that's a testimony. But what is wrong with, with, with giving that encouragement to the congregation? If it's done decently in order, if it's done in accordance with God's will otherwise, I think it's a good thing. I think it's a net positive. So that's just some things that I think about. Um, I do not think that we ought to do what the denominations do. I do not think that during a worship service, if somebody, quote unquote, catches the Holy Ghost, they got to get up and testify. No, that's that's foolish, and that's that's the behavior that Paul was trying to uh, condemn and to make the church in Corinth stop. You may feel the impulse to get up and testify during a worship service, but that impulse is subject to you. You are not subject to that impulse. So I hope I've given you some things to think about. I hope I've wrinkled your brain some. I know they've certainly, I've, I've certainly had my brain wrinkled the last few days as I've been thinking on this. And uh, please don't listen to this and go out and tell people that, well, Tony thinks we ought to have uh, time in a worship service where folks get up and testify just like the denominations do. If you say that, you will be misrepresenting my position. That's all I've got here, folks. Thank you so much. For those of you that are watching this live, please be our algorithm. Uh, we don't get a whole lot of traffic on the Cogitations Facebook page, but if you'll be the algorithm and share every time you see something from Cogitations, even if it's a picture, I, I try to put out um, you know, a couple times a week, maybe once a week, something that's not video content. Share that, tag some of your friends, and all that. So uh, anyway, uh, that's all I've got here. Thank you so much, Diana Harden. And uh, Bridget Dreschner, good to see you. And for those of you that are watching that didn't comment, thank you so much. You don't know what that means to me. And be sure and subscribe to Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or TuneIn Radio. And this has been Tony Brewer with Cogitations. And we'll catch you on the flip side. <laughs>